says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another action-packed edition of the Tip Sheet. It's the preview episode, as it were. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me, as always, is my excellent and outstanding mate, 60s. Good to have you on board, mate, even though you've been flat out at the moment. Mate, I love the superlatives you're coming up with uh, for me there, mate. It's um, it's a it's quite a, a bit to live up to. What was it? Um, excellent <laughs> and superlative. Yeah. Again, got to give you a little bit of love every now and then. You do a fantastic job working with me, and anyone that can put up with me like you do is going all right. <laughs> well, mate, I'm looking forward to this episode because we've got uh, the expertise in to have a bit of a chat about the uh, eels semi-final, well, finals clash with the Penrith Panthers. And then, of course, we will round out this episode with the full chat from uh, with Daniel Essie from the Borkham Hills Brumby. So please stay through the podcast to catch up with that. Well, 60s, there wouldn't be a tip sheet finals preview without the analysis of the unimitable Bernie Gurr. And uh, with the Eels entering their second sudden death uh, finals match this week, and as well as the Roosters and Manly also going toe-to-toe in the sudden death arena, we're very happy to welcome back Bernie for another big talk-through of week two of the finals. Morning, boys. How are you? Doing quite very well, Bernie. <laughs> Doing yeah, quite very well, well, mate. Yeah. I want to let 60s lead in there, but um, yeah, I didn't want to step on his toes because I'm, I'm always cutting in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Bernie, I'll, so I'll kick off here. Uh, the surprises from the first week of the final was probably the extent to which the Storm demolished Manly and then the Bunnies' unexpected victory over Penrith. How did you see those two games? Yeah, look, there's been a lot of talk about the Storm and, you know, a lot of eulogising of how well they played. And they, they were very solid. Um, uh, you know, the reality is that game went on possession. You know, sometimes statistics tell you something, really tell you something about a game, and other times they're not as meaningful. But in that game, the stats are very meaningful. The Storm had 61% of possession to, to uh, Manly's 39. Um, they had a 90% completion versus Manly's 72. They ran for 1,670 metres versus Manly's 1,012. So... And the other key stat that really tells the story is that Manly's discipline was poor. Their negative plays, which are errors and penalties and six agains, etc., they had 19 negative plays to um, to the Storm's 11. So much has been made about, you know, the, the genius of Melbourne, you know, uh, containing Tommy Turbo. But the best way to contain uh, Manly or Tommy Turbo is to just don't don't let them have the ball. Um, you know, there's nothing brilliant about that. It's very solid and it worked out really well. But the best tactic is to prevent, you know, Manly and Turbo having the ball. That allowed the field to dominate field position, build pressure, and that's the final formula. So, you know, a lot of a lot of, uh, a lot of hyperbole around what they did to Turbo, et cetera. But the biggest factor was possession. Um, and when, when Manly and Turbo don't have the ball, then they can't, they can't execute their plays. Yeah, dominating possession seems to be a sovereign remedy to winning games, doesn't it? Well, I've looked at it statistically. Last weekend, three of the four teams won the possession battle. And in the other game, it was 50-50, and that was the Roosters-Titans. And that was, you know, a very, very tight game right the, down the to the... definition of a line ball game, yeah. 
if you if you look at it, the most you know people rave on about play to ball speed and all this being factors in in rugby league games and building momentum and driving the impact of results. Um, the biggest factor still is possession, and then if you if you have good possession and then get a good completion, you're very hard to beat. So what you had last week in Storm and Manly was Storm at 61%. They completed 90%, which is outstanding. And when when you're a, when you're already an outstanding team, you do those things, you're going to be very, very hard to beat, hence the scoreline we saw. And then just turning over to that uh, result with the South Sydney Rabbitohs upsetting the Penrith Panthers, Penrith had really trounced Souths in the two meetings, especially the first one in, in 2021. That was a, a huge turnaround result, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I, I don't think anyone picked South except Gerard and South supporters. Yeah. But uh, what South did was they they played as the motivated underdog. And that's always, from a mentality point of view, things coaches coaches love playing as underdogs. So Bennett was right at his sweet spot there. He had South as a blatant underdog playing against the Panthers, who everybody was saying, uh, you know, very, very good chance to go and win the competition. So that played into Bennett's sweet spot. Um, all the talk around, you know, the blocking of the kickers and all, 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 all of that talk before the game, you know, I think, quite frankly, that's wildly overplayed as far as it impacts the performance and therefore the result of the game. I think it's a lot of good media fodder, but I don't think it means that much. What really meant a lot was... The, the, the work behind the scenes that Bennett was doing is he, with his players getting them mentally ready and tactically ready to play that game. So they were the real things that won the game, not not the so-called um, banter that was going on between Ivan and uh, Wayne pre-game. I don't think that had much impact at all. I don't think players, quite frankly, take much notice if they're paying attention at all. But, you know, credit to Wayne and South. They, they, they got down in the trenches. They had great uh, defensive aggression. And Penrith just seemed a little off to me. They weren't quite up. To me, it looked like Penrith were treating it just as another game. Um, they were rolling through their sets. And they had more negative plays than any other team that played last weekend. They had 22 negative plays. So combined 22 negative plays with a really aggressive, energised South Sydney team, uh, what I thought was a slightly less energised Panthers team, and, you know, at the end of the day, the scoreline was only 16-10. So, you know, the Panthers certainly have a bounce back in them. I, I made a similar ob- observation in my household to you about the Panthers in that they just seem to be slightly, ever so slightly off the boil in that contest. And with the, the Rabbitohs really fired up and physically challenging them, it, it's not a surprise to see that result. But like you said, Bernie, just the six points in it ultimately. So it's not like the Panthers, Panthers were embarrassed, but, yeah, put them into a, probably a game they weren't expecting though. Yeah, their expectations are high, their standards are high. Uh, but, yeah, they were just a little off and they're playing a, a team that played really, really well. I think Adam Reynolds had a sensational game. And, you know, South were on. And they still – they still they won 16 to 10. But if you were Penrith, and I know we'll talk about Penrith later as it relates to the game against the Eels, um, when you're a little off in a semi-final game against a motivated opponent who've been prepared very well – um, you know it's tough to win, but yeah, look, it, it was a. It's it's certainly turned the competition upside down because now they've uh, Penrith have flipped to the Melbourne Parramatta side of the draw. So the people that were saying dogmatically that it was going to be Melbourne and Penrith, that just can't happen now. Mm-hmm. Now shifting focus to Sunday just passed. What were your takeaways from Parramatta's twenty-eight to twenty victory over the Newcastle Knights? 
Well, at a, at a very summary level, every playoff win is a good win. It doesn't matter how you get it. We weren't there. We just had to win. We, we didn't go there to entertain anybody. We just had to win the game. We were the, we were favourites. We were predominant favourites to win the game, and, and it can be difficult to win as a favourite, a predominant favourite. Penrith found against South. Look, we picked a big, strong side. We went in there to be aggressive, and that, that, that philosophy eventuated. You know, we talked about the fundamentals and what Parramatta needed to do well last week. Number one, the power running. Did they do that? Absolutely. Number two, the aggressive defence. Absolutely. There were periods there where the momentum changed on the aggressive defence of Paulo, RCG and Ray Stone. Uh, number three, we talked about discipline. Not quite there yet to the level needed to, to keep moving forward in this competition, but not too bad. Um, there were 15 negative plays for both the Eels and the Knights last weekend. So that sort of also is indicative of the evenness of the contest. Um, the kicking was the last, was the fourth thing we talked about last week. I'd give us a pass mark. There was some... The wind had a bit of a factor early in the game before Mitch got his range, but he nailed some excellent kicks there at critical times where he where, where it allowed us to play really good field position, particularly in the second half. He nailed one into the end goal. And led and the not chase, a, yeah. Led the chase and made the tackle. His goal kicking was three out of four. They got two out of four. That's why we led by two points with two minutes with you know uh, near the end of that game. So, you know, we we did pretty well against those four markers that we'd identified last week. Um, you know, our possession was good. We we had fifty five percent of the ball. We completed at eighty nine percent. Our post contact meters were six hundred and seven versus four thirty two which means that we were winning the battle of the collision, as Brad often talks about. So we were, we were winning that, that physical battle. And just as an interesting aside from last week's semi-final games, as I said earlier, three of the four winners had the greater possession. So, you know, there's my mantra in rugby league is that possession is king. And then the second, the second interesting stat from last week's games was that three of the four winners had the slower play-the-ball speed. There's this great myth in rugby league about you have to win the battle of the play the ball. You have to have the faster play the ball speeds. Three of the four teams last week, the team with the slower play the ball speed won the game. And in the Eels Knights games, they were basically dead even on play play the ball speed. So, you know, you can look at uh, those sort of things, but uh, the one constant as rugby league goes forward is that possession is king. Mm-hmm. That you need to complete at a reasonable level, which is usually eighty. 80 to 85% and above. Uh, speaking of that play to ball speed, uh, I think the Parramatta Eels across the last couple of years, it's, it's, a no, it's something we've taken note of in all our post-game reviews. Of, uh, to the vast majority, it must be 95% plus, have lost to play the ball speed in their wins. And it's, yeah. more, it's more about the time we play the ball speed, like, you know, that lets your dummy half engage or jump out. That's more important than the aggregate of it all. Absolutely. The Eels typically are one of the slower uh one of the slower play the ball speeds. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it doesn't all, the play the ball speeds don't always correlate with the um, with the wins the game. So, just to um, round out that game, there was quite a bit of media attention before the match, Bernie, for uh, a fellow that we talked about last week, Will Penasini. Um, is it fair to say now that he's passed every test that he's had to face? Oh, absolutely. He's developing, you know, so well for a young player. Um, we'd all thought, we'd all seen him play a lot of, 
junior rep games for, for the Eels, and we always thought he was a potential first grader. He's progressed a little faster than I would have thought he would have, um, which is terrific. But it's great to see a local junior, a player we've seen in the junior reps uh, system and coming out of our elite pathways development model come through. So, yeah, he's absolutely advanced at a faster rate. He's very strong physically and he's very good defensively. He doesn't, you know, sometimes young players come into first grade and, and they can get ragdolled a bit because they're not physically ready for it. Will is a very strong young individual. He's got good speed, good hands. The other thing with Will is that he reads defence very well. I keep hearing people uh, talk about our right side defence and historically we've had some problems there the last couple of years and we still have a few issues, but Will Panasini's not one of them. Um, Will reads defence very well. He's a smart player. The other thing that I think bodes well for Will now and probably one of the reasons that he's he's gravitated so quickly at a, such a young age is the fact that he's very level-headed. You guys know him. You know his family. Um, you know that he comes out of a terrific family. So he's level-headed. He's mature. And, yeah, he he's developing so well. He just looks right at home in that right centre spot. Yeah, the, the big thing that stands out for me defensively is obviously, like you said, Bernie, he makes great reads, which is uh, quite uh, uncommon for a young player. But the second thing is that there's very little, if not no, hesitation. He, he gets his read, he locks on, and he makes a play based on what he's diagnosed uh, defensively. And that sort of that sort of uh, assertiveness is very important in defense. Exactly, he's got confidence because he number one he reads it well because he's an intelligent player, and number two is he's physically he knows he can execute. Like you know, Bradman Best has run over a lot of good centers in the NRL, but uh, Will Panasini physically handled him very very well the other day, and you know that's a, that's a good sign. So being smart and being able to physically execute on your defensive assignment. That, that Will knows when he goes out there, albeit is a very humble young man, he's quite confident that he can get the job done. And on the flip side, with the ball in hand, he showed that he's not all power. Uh, with that move he put on Bradman on on the left edge of the of the Knights against Bradman Best, with the little in and away, and then the Kirk Gidley flick. Oh, sorry, the Matt Gidley flick, not the Kirk Gidley flick, uh, to put Blake Ferguson over. A lot of just nuance and touch for such a young player. Oh yeah, if one of the more um, you know, if a Tommy Turbo or, te- uh, or a James Tedesco had done that play, they'd have still been raving about it today, days later. That was a magnificent play under pressure in an, in an elimination playoff game. Uh, the game was on tenter hooks at that point. It was still very close after, even after the Mitchell Moses try a couple of minutes earlier. So, look, that play was phenomenal. And it just showed, you know, he's, he's going to be a very, very good NRL player for the Eels for a long time. Now, looking forward to week two of the finals, there's been just the one change in the 17 for the Parramatta Eels this week. It's Ryan Madison coming onto the bench for Makahesi Makatoa. Uh, what does his inclusion mean for the team in your estimation, Bernie? Yeah, that, that's an interesting change. I don't disagree with it at all. Um, I think it's a good thing to do, but it does change the philosophy around the interchange. Last week, it was rather rather simple. We had Papa Lee and Makatoa, two big units that could come on and effectively replace RCG and Paulo. Um, this is a little different because, you know, by definition, Ryan Madison's not a middle. So you really have one middle there with Papa Lee. So what I'm thinking they're going to do is when is when Madison comes on, that uh, Lane may go to the middle. So that'll put a, a, a bit of pressure on, on, on Lane to play edge and then go to the middles. Um, what I also think it means is 
Brad may not want to do that for a lot of minutes of the game. So it may mean that in this elimination high-stakes game that RCG and Paulo play even bigger minutes, if that's possible. Paulo, Paulo played big minutes last week. RCG coming back after six weeks out, very impactful, but not as big a minutes as Paulo. Um, I think you'll find both them play big minutes. Uh, Lossick must is obviously still wounded. That's impacted the, the composition of the bench. Uh, young Oregon Cathusi would consider himself a little unlucky that he missed out. But, you know, I have no problems with Madison coming back on the bench. And the other thing around change, I liked the interaction, uh, the rotation last week um, with Smith, Will Smith coming on for Ray Stone. I thought, I thought he got that just right last week, and I'd like to it'd be great if, he can, if that's continued this week. And just with that um, inclusion of Ryan Madison as well, psychologically with Ryan Madison, do you think that like he's he's going to be pumped for a big game, having missed out the previous week? Yeah, exactly. He will be. The other thing to remember too is Ryan Madison and Blake Ferguson are the only players in our squad that have won an NRL premiership. So Ryan Madison, he's, and also Ryan's, he's been in origin squads. I don't know whether he's been on the field yet. So Ryan has a, quite a bit of experience. So to have Ryan Madison coming in, he won't be daunted by the occasion. To your point, he'll be motivated and uh, he'll certainly be fresh. He's been out now for, you know, about five weeks. So, yeah, look, I think it's a good inclusion. I think he'll he'll get the job done that Brad wants him to do. Now, the last time that both teams at closer to full strength played each other was back in round 16 and the Panthers had a, a one-point victory. The Eels had that opportunity to secure the win with that penalty shot from Mitch Moses after the full-time siren. Penrith were without both Cleary and Edwards that night. Parramatta had a couple of players out. But given those two Penrith players were big outs, can we draw any sort of form line from that match in assessing the Eels' chances on Saturday night? Well, it's, it's good discussion points, but uh, obviously Cleary being out and to a lesser degree Edwards, they were huge outs the night that, that we played them in round 16. So, look, my if you look at Last week's game, for example, in South and Penrith, everyone was taking a line off the fact that South had lapped them by 50 points during the year. So it's very often... It, my under, my theory is that every game takes on its own personality. And that game last week with South and Penrith took on a personality and South drove that with the way they were prepared. This game will take on its own personality as well. The reality is, to me, is that um, the Eels, with the win over the Storm, playoff win last week, we have our confidence and belief back, and you, you tend to see that, and we're all amateur psychologists in a way, but I, I'm sensing that out of the interviews I, I see and hear with our players, that the confidence and belief has returned, and we should be confident to beat any team. We've beaten the Storm twice this year, we've run Penrith close as you pointed out earlier, but this is a new game, but when you go into a game, there's nothing like confidence and belief. You don't want to go into a game hoping to win. You want to go into a game expecting to win. Now, whilst a lot of the pundits will tip Penrith, and I understand that, within the four walls of the Eels bunker this week, they'll be expecting to win. They think they can win this. We've got a very good, you know, we're very fortunate with non-injury. We've got a very good team we're putting out there. It's a new game. And I think if we can stick to the Eels' way of playing, that para style that we've got that we imposed for uh, you know some of the game last week, that we need to impose our will on this game and go out 
and really attack this game. We can't go out and wait for the game to unfold. These are the sort of games South did it last week on Penrith. They went straight out there, and right from the get-go, you could absolutely see that they were going to have good line speed, high energy, and very aggressive. Now, we have the capability to do all that. Um, you know, we did it at periods last week that showed that we can do that and we can do it in big games. And I expect that, you know, our start this week will be critical. And I think the first 15 minutes, you've got Moses Leota back in for Penrith. Uh, he'll be with Fisher Harris. So they'll be tag teamed up against uh, our duo of RCG and Paulo. And I think it's going to be spectacular. But I think the Eels will go in with a belief that they can impose their will on this game. Now, despite last week's upset, upset loss sorry, to the Rabbitohs, the Panthers are still at exceedingly short odds to defeat Parramatta. I think the line right now is uh, 122 for Penrith to Parramatta's 425. Um, parts of the media have sort of latched on to that loss and sort of, you know, I, I know Buzz Rothfield has spoken about uh, Ivan being at risk of becoming the new Brian Smith. But do you think that the Panthers themselves are going to be feeling that pressure of expectation now that they're playing sudden death football a week before they were expecting to? Absolutely. You know, both Penrith and Melbourne, the two favourites prior to last weekend, they wanted to win the game. They wanted to get a week off and then move move forward into the grand final qualifier game. So, yes, there's pressure on Penrith, um, and that's not that's not uncommon. It's not it's not unusual. You know, they're now in an elimination semi, so yeah, they'll have that. But uh, you know, if they go out in straight sets, to them their, their season is going to be extremely disappointing, given the roster they had and the preparation coming into this year, how they've played this year. They won as many games as Melbourne. They just lost the minor premiership on four and against. So, look, I've got no doubt that they'll play well. I think Nathan Cleary is the key. He's the most – you can argue whether Cleary, Tedesco or Trebojevic is the best player in the game. There's, you know, you could make a big case, though, that Nathan Cleary is potentially the most influential player because he's the halfback. He gets the ball in his hands more than any other player in that team. So, look, yeah, they'll they'll have there is a weight of expectation on them, but I think the key there is to have players that can maintain their composure in the big match atmosphere. I think Nathan Cleary is one of them. So, I think I expect Penrith to play well, no doubt about it. But I, I expect us to play. Very, I expect the Eels to play very well also. Is there anything that Penrith didn't do against the Rabbitohs that you expect them to address against us? Yeah, as I said before, they, I, I thought they were a little off, just a, just a little off. They are a little flat. Um, they tried hard, but they were just a little flat. So I think they're going to be looking for that. You know, they've got, this, they've got skill all across the field. They've proven they can score points. They, they had the best defence in the league. So I think they'll be looking for that, that just that incremental increase in energy, intensity, um, they want to get back to that. They play a very up-tempo style of game in attack. So I think Ivan and the leaders in that team will be saying, look, let's just up the intensity, up the tempo, and get back to what I call that attack-the-game philosophy. Um, Cleary will be on for this one. He'll be he'll be up for this, this uh, Nathan Cleary, because he's a terrific young player. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they... You don't want to reinvent the wheel. They know what works for them. They've just got to do it with more increased intensity and, and just up the tempo. Back to the Eels now, and you, you kind of touched on it briefly before, but how do you think we're going to approach this game mentally, I suppose? Look, I think we our expectation should be that we're going to win the game. Internally, you know, our players should be sitting there thinking, we have the, the, the personnel and the players to win this game. You've got to have the belief, and I think we do. 
Um, but again, you don't want to be reinventing the wheel. And the one thing you'll have to do, the foundation of victory in any game, but particularly in playoff games, is those fundamentals we spoke about last week, which is the power running, the aggressive defence, the discipline and the kicking. And if we can get those right, it won't guarantee victory. But one thing I will say, if you don't do them, I can guarantee you we won't win. So they're the things we need to get right. It's not a case of there's no, this game won't be won on trick shots. Uh, it could be one on a brilliant piece of play, such as Mitch Moses did last week when we, when he felt, you know, that we were under the under the pump. He came up with a magnificent piece of play. That's not a trick shot. That's just Mitchell being a brilliant player. So both teams have the capability to do that, but you've got to build it on the foundation of those fundamentals we talked about earlier. And just to that. Um was there anything from our game with the Knights, whether it be fundamentals or any other aspect of the game, that we really need to improve moving forward one week? Um, given you've only got one week, and it's very hard to change the personality or the philosophy of a football team within a week. And, you and you know, the reality is, too, we're down to the last six teams. We're, we're, six of the, we're one of the six best teams in the NRL. We've made it this far. So you're not going to see... You're not going to see radical changes in how we play, how any of these six teams play the game. What There's two things that I'd like to just slight improvements. Number one, I'd just like to see more push-up. I thought the ball movement amongst the forwards got back to what Parramatta should do last week. There was good ball movement, particularly between the 40-yard lines, between Paulo Brown, RCG. I like that. So that number one, I'd like to see some extra push-up. Mitch Moses pushed up there once in the first half and he probably made 15, 20 yards just on a run, pushing up and supporting one of those forwards in the middle of the field around the halfway mark. So number one, more push-up with Gutherson, Moses and Dylan Brown. And number two is, I just think our precision in attack, like we scored a very good try earlier to Wonga Blake where we did a, a lovely set piece with good precision. Um, we just need to focus on every player needs to concentrate when they're running those set pieces, that they're running the right lines with the right angles and they understand what they're trying to do to the defence. So just a potentially a little bit of an increased level of precision on our offensive plays. Was that? Do you think that was um, where it was just a smidgen off with precision? Would that have been a reflection of having that week off for a lot of the players? No, I, I don't think that's a case at all. I think you, you um, I think it's just a case of just not quite getting it right on the night. I, I, quite frankly, you know, when players, you know, the theory of resting players is making them fresher physically, but also fresher mentally. So they come back absolutely sharp as attack when they come back in. And I think we've seen that with resting the players in our final home and away game against the Panthers. And they came out and we played with good energy last week. So no, I don't think that's a factor. All right, Bernie, it's time for some predictions for this week, and we're going to go on the scheduled match order, so that means we're going to start on Friday night. The Sydney Roosters have uh, plumbed the absolute depths of their roster and somehow have got the job done time after time this year, despite injuries, errors, suspensions, you name it. It's been adversity city for them. Uh, what's your tip for their clash with the Manly Seagulls on Friday night? Look, both of these are going to be super games. So the Roosters-Manly game on Friday night, I think, is going to be a terrific game. Everyone's questioning, as I have, of, of when, when will the Roosters finally run out of petrol? But they keep plugging away. So it's a testament, you know, to the grit and resilience of the club and the leadership in the club all the way from, you know, the chairman, the coach, the senior players such as, you know, um, Warrior Hargraves, Tedesco, Josh Morris, Radley. You know, these guys, uh, Crichton, you know, these guys have 
have really led the way and they've got a great coach in, in Trent Robinson. So just the philosophy of, and the grit and the resilience has been outstanding. Um, you know, this week they lose Verrills and Takiaho, which they couldn't afford to do. Manly, Manly just have to play with more discipline. They, they were way too loose last week. They got some young players who last week should have been a great experience for for Aloye, Okolowatu, Kepi, Schuster, Paseka. I think they'll be very they'll be better for the run. Their attack's very potent, but they can get carried away. They need to they need to earn that right to use the ball and use their skills. They need to get into that that set for set grind that teams need to do, particularly in semi-final games against the better teams. DC is critical there. He needs to control them. He needs to make sure they keep it simple. Um you know, and of course, defence. Now, Manly have a bit of a reputation that yeah, they can score plenty of points, but their defence is not quite as tough and, and battle-hardened as some of the other teams. But look, I think Desi will have Manly up for this. I think, you know, I think their energy levels will be high. Um, some of those young players will not be the deer in the headlights. They were a bit last week, I thought, uh, playing their first playoff game against a very tough opponent in the Storm. Look, my heart says the Roosters. I'd love to see the Roosters win, but I think Manly's going to be very hard to beat. No, that's a- I, I will say just on uh, on what you were saying before about earning the right for some of the plays that I really believe that that was the area where Manly let themselves down. It was almost as if they were treating the game against the Storm as every other game they played against every other opponent in the back half of the, the year, and it wasn't the same as every other yeah. opponent. Absolutely. They, uh, they manly look like they went straight out and they're just going to get straight back into club season, regular season mode and start moving the ball. But that's not how you... They The first 15 minutes had to be dedicated to hard running, hard tackling, kick long, chase, and just building their game. You often hear Brad Arthur talk about building the Eels game during the game. Uh, manly did not build the game. They wanted to go from uh, stop to uh, top gear straight away. And I you know, clearly that drop ball early was was a was an error of concentration, and that that turned them immediately. So they're going to be on their best behaviour. But the cumulative impact of all the injuries and retirements, etc., for the Roosters is it's very hard. So, like I said earlier, my heart's with the Roosters, but mainly going to be very hard to beat. Yeah, two birds enter that uh, arena on Friday night. One leaves to take on the South Sydney Rabbitohs for a berth in the grand final. But the one we really care about, the big match on Saturday. Who wins the Battle of the West, mate? Para or Penrith? I think Parramatta can win this game. If they can play a full 80 minutes of, 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 of that tough, uncompromising brand of football and go through those fundamentals that we need to do, I believe Parramatta can upset them. If we can get this game to the back end, to the last 15, 20 minutes, and the game's very, very close, Penrith, with the weight of expectation on them and, and being massively favourite for this game, uh, they could potentially get nervous. Now, I know they've got Cleary, who's a very, very composed player, but Parramatta just have to play our game to the best of our ability. And I think if we do that, we can potentially force them into error. I think we can win the physical battle in the forwards if we play to our capabilities. We need to, the kicking game, and I know I tend to rave on about the kicking game because I still think people underrate the importance of long kicking, short kicking, uh, etc. I think if our kicking game is good, I think that will be an absolutely key element because if our kicking is good, we'll be playing good field position. We'll get the feeling we're running downhill. Like when we attacked Newcastle on their line last week, the feeling was we're running downhill and they're running uphill. And that's the feeling that good kicking does because it gives you good field position. You can help build, it builds your momentum, builds pressure, etc. 
So, look, I think the Eels can win the game. The one thing I probably neglected to say earlier, Dylan Brown needs to run the ball more. He just needs to run the ball more. The other good thing I did notice last week that Mitch Moses had a monumental amount of touches. I think he had over 70 touches in that game. That was brilliant because clearly he had less touches than that in his game. So if Mitch and if our forwards play physically the way we want them to, Mitch has good long kicking. Off the back of all that, Dylan Brown does need to run the ball more, but I, I think Parramatta can win this game. That's a nice, succinct way to wrap it all up, Bernie. We love having you on the tip sheet. It's always an absolute blast, and we hope that we can keep inviting you on for our finals run, meaning that the Eels keep knocking over their opponents, starting with the Panthers this week, and we can go a couple more episodes with you on board. Absolutely. Thank you, mate, for providing that fascinating insight and analysis as always, and as always, keep safe in between, mate. We love having you on. Good to chat, boys. Stay well. Catch you, mate. Thanks, mate. Bye. All right, 60s, we've had the specialist take on the game and on all the games from the upcoming week of action on Friday, and so they, now it's time for the working-class man's, uh, I don't want to say insightful, I'll say uh, broad strokes uh, take on what's coming up and what we want to talk about for the finals, mate. Well, mate, before we get into the match itself, I'm not sure whether our listeners caught NRL 360 this week, and, and I must admit, it's I, I've... I've really been enjoying the program probably over the last year or so. Obviously, Bonnie Sampson's a favourite of ours. And believe it or not, I've come to have quite a lot of respect for Paul Kent, uh, someone that I, I used to uh, cringe at watching because, and it was probably because he was told some confronting truths about our club for a number of years. And, and I found that hard to handle, but uh, I've come to respect his brutal honesty in a lot of things but um the other night we had paul crawley and james hooper who have essentially preempted the narrative that they're going to go down the path of it at the point where um it, it should the eels lose this week that they're expecting a, an implosion at the club I, i've it, it is literally one of the more ridiculous headlines that they are angling for when you're talking about pre-match discussion for a finals clash, not building up the clash itself, but looking at building up the aftermath. Now, for a start, I'm annoyed because there's not much respect that's shown there when you when they just want to highlight, again, uh, Parramatta players off contract. Now, you could do that with any club. You pull up a list of any any club that's got their uh, players that are off contract on a certain year and there's going to be some big lists that are there. So just ignore all that sort of hogwash. They'll have to make some decisions, the Eels, no doubt, but just like every club has to make decisions about who they let go and uh, and who they retain. The frustrating so, part of that narrative, though, is that they're making out like it's now or never parameter, like the premiership window shuts hard at the end of this season because of those guys that are off contract for 2023. Oh, you know, and the ridiculous part about that is if you balance that against the young players that have made their debut mm-hmm. debut this year, which is literally preparation for the future. So you've got all these promising players that have that have played their first game um, in their careers um, or, or their first game for Parramatta, and it's just been. Um, I think a wealth of talent that's been 
unveiled and and certainly some of them might be an, another 18 months or so away from being considered as uh, as selections regular selections for first grade but we've already seen that after a few games Will Penasini's been identified as a a major major talent that's coming through at the club so they want to identify that as as you said start talking about a window closing but then they're talking about they're not talking about uh, you know um, a disappointment of a season potentially a poten- sorry I should say a potential disappointment of not progressing past the second week of the finals but let's put this in perspective the eels have won their first match in the final series they're coming into the second match against the team that was uh, predicted to be one of the two certainties in the grand final. They are over $4 outsiders in that game, and they're suggesting that should the Eels bow out in a match where they are the massive underdogs, that it's a failed season, there will be massive reviews and there will be a, an implosion at the club over this early exit in the finals. And we were just talking with Bernie about the Eels are now among, uh, uh, have finished as the best with already within the best six in the competition. And I can't believe that such a negative perspective is being used in the lead up to a, a, the battle of the West. And it certainly is providing that window to what their, post-match narrative would be should the Eels lose this game. And I, I don't think the Eels will lose this game. I believe that the Eels will win it. But it was just so annoying. And then then they doubled down to have, have it even more ridiculous. It was funny. I was, I was talking to Yoko when we were watching that on <laughs> 360 the night before. And I suggested to her, well, they'll probably, they could probably just as easily turn around and say that Nathan Cleary will be a failed coach because if they lose this because um, their record will be um, two from five finals over the last two years. And sure enough, <laughs> they came good with what I was using as a throwaway suggestion to, uh, to Yoko. There it was last night about the blowtorch will be on Cleary if the Panthers were to lose. I cannot believe that they are using negatives to promote the game. I just, it, it stuns me. Yeah, it's definitely having a, a bet both ways for the media, isn't it? Because everyone wasn't even playing for runners-up in this year in this year's competition because, like you said, it, it was going to be Penner for Melbourne in the grand final, no doubt. So, you know, South Sydney, Parramatta, the Roosters, all these teams that are still in the finals, Manly, obviously, you know, they're, they're all going to have failed seasons by that metro. Or, you know, they're not going to be able to make the grand final. So, okay. But now, losing the Penrith means that we should have a complete overhaul of the club. Like, it, it's, yeah, it, it's very classic, you know, narrative manipulation. And look, if the Eels lose badly against Penrith, that's going to definitely open up conversations like, uh, to that degree. But like you, like you, I agree that I think the Eels are going to go out there and have an absolute hell of a game. They're going to make this a at the very worst, I think, a, a tight loss against an outstanding op- opposition. But I think that they've got every chance of winning. But it just, the negativity from the Australian media, it's, this isn't just a Parramatta-related thing. Like you said, they then spun it onto Ivan Cleary as well, a guy that 
went out and won an absolute enormous amount of games this year. And if not for Melbourne being ridiculous as an organisation, they would have been the minor runaway minor premiers in another year. So it's just crazy. Thankfully, last night, mate, when they were they tried to raise it again with Parramatta, Brent Reed talked about that the DNA of the Parramatta club has changed in recent years where they don't rush into panicking about the coaching situation or anything like that. And, um, and knowing that we've got a, such a strong management and uh, board of directors that have evolved over the last few years, it's a, it's, it's the philosophy of the club really to be looking at that long-term planning as much as, as much as what's happening right now. And, and I have great faith that there won't be anything that you could even remotely say has the semblance of um, disharmony or implosion or anything like that within the club were it the case of the, of the, of the team losing this week. I don't think they'll lose this week, but uh, by the same token, I've got a lot of faith that the club is um, knows that we're building as an organisation and that there isn't a need for any level of um, panic or um, overreaction to uh, a season where you finish in the top six. And, and, and I would still believe that yes, the 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 playing staff, the the coaching staff, everyone's got ambitions to go beyond this week anyway. No, I think that's pretty fair, mate. So let's uh, move on from the uh, negativity of the media and look at the game in its uh, own rights. Saturday night taking on the Panthers, obviously. We know that Nathan Cleary is the cog that really makes the entire engine the Panthers work, but outside of him. Who you're looking at as the potential threats across their lineup? Bearing in mind, like we mentioned on our uh, bonus podcast, they are full strength. Like they're just packed to the rafters. One of the seventeen got uh, the mercenary pickup and Tavita Bango Junior. coming off the bench. There is a lot of firepower in that team. Yeah, the player that I've always had a high regard for, and it's um, and now it's uh, and I'm not saying that there there was I was any sort of um, judge that's picked up on this player before anyone else did but for years now I've just thought that Isaiah Yo is a, a class class player so he's the first person that I'd nominate as as being a threat he's just non-stop all through the game every every carry is quality his defense is first class and he he composed that threat um, in attack that I think few players can where he's not just a strong runner but he's got he's got the ball skills he's awkward to tackle yeah and he's got a bit of pace about him as well so yeah he, he's a class player I can't I can't ignore him um, I think Luai's been his form's been off it's taken off since origin for sure but he is a live eye off the ball in hand isn't he oh yeah yeah and you just know that He's especially against a Western Sydney rival that he's going to be ultra motivated. And if there's been anything that's 
say, uh, mentally impacting his game, I don't think that that's going to be a factor at all this Saturday night. Um, outside of outside of that, look, I, I I think that they're just a strong side altogether. They've got a lot of mobility off the bench, and I think that's a big factor in the selection of Madison in the Eels team is that we're matching mobility for mobility. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, dangers all over the park from them, but especially, as I said, with uh, Isaiah Yo and, uh, and Luai. And I think the one that a lot of neutrals and, and fans of the Eels in general circle around is Brian Toto, who is obviously a, a dynamo and gets their sets underway with a lot of strength. So it goes without saying that the Eels need to do a job minimising his impact, and I think they'll definitely be keyed onto that for certain. How would you kick to him? Would you be looking at a kicking high and deep to him when we're when we're looking at the the long kicking game from the Eels, or would you be looking to find the ground uh, over on his side of the field? I, I think South Sydney had a pretty good example of what we would be doing as a blueprint, going high and deep, and de- like deliberately kicking to his side too to make him uh, be a non-factor for that first tackle uh, following the initial kick reception. Which is where he gets yep. he does so much damage, is that if he's the guy not doing the kick return but doing that following the second tackle run, he just galvanizes that entire set. He gets, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 meters sometimes, and all of a sudden Penrith are just rolling. So Mitchell Moses has really got that type of technique for that kick nailed down, and I expect that's what we're going to be employing on Saturday night. And if he if we can't shut that down and he's making that second uh, carry in the set, you just see someone like like Stoney or RCG yeah. giving him a nice little touch up in his carry. I, I imagine just to let, just to maybe go towards discouraging public enemy uh, number one. He's going to have the the old uh, bounty board uh, cut out. You know, wanted dead or alive for the Parramatta Eels for those first couple of tackles. And given what Reg and Stoney did against Newcastle, I imagine that's going to be similar to what they'll do for him this week. If um if we can't take him out for that uh, second tackle run, yep, yep. So, um, any other any other aspects about about Penrith? I, I I what I wanted to to touch on as well was we were at the Penrith and Parramatta trial earlier this year, and the the Penrith club themselves it was an absolutely stunning set of trials that day. And the reserve grade trial from memory was something like 40 to nil that the Panthers beat the Eels. Correct. And although the scoreline was a little bit tighter in the uh, NRL trial, what was stunning that night was just the, um, the speed, the intensity, the quality of the Panthers' play for a trial match. And I remember saying to you back then that, they're, they were playing September football in March. And if they are able to keep that up for an entire season, full credit to them because that's a, that is such a, a high standard to maintain for a year. Now, I think I saw for the first time this year in, in a couple of their recent games that they have struggled to maintain that level of intensity and 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 that speed of the game and and unless you've seen the panthers live i don't think you'd 
really and, and I've said the same about the storm as well. It doesn't you get full credit. Really appreciate to, yeah. It. yeah, television doesn't the television doesn't do any justice to the teams that play with That's uh, high energy. Mm-hmm. Um and and you know when you see those players in motion and again you I, I, this is where live being able to get to the games and, and watch live rugby league where you're watching the entire field and you're not you're not um, restricted to what the cameras show and you look at the players that are in motion and sometimes you with certain teams and the way they structure their shapes and their attack and you see players running everywhere and you're thinking oh good luck stopping this and Penrith are one of those teams Melbourne as I said is the other team um, and they were like that in the trial and I just remember remember thinking I was surprised to see so many shots fired in a trial match. And, um, yeah, as I said, I think they – and I know I'm going off television, and, and this is the danger, but just even in what I've seen on the television, it, it looks like that maybe that level of intensity, that speed of the play might have dropped a little bit. Um, yes, that's the danger that I'm not there seeing it in person, but I don't know. I, I got the sense that um, it's it maybe has been a long time to be up this year, and they they'll probably they could very well turn around and be uh, back to that energetic best and turn around and win three games in a row now and take the title. But um, yeah, it's been a big ask to play that way for. A, the entire season. No, you're right. And I think the other thing is that just physically, South Sydney punched them in the mouth. They weren't expecting it. They just got rocked. And, you know, and it's something that we're very capable of doing because that's what we did to Melbourne a couple of weeks back. So it really sets the scene for a fascinating, you know, Western Sydney derby because the Panthers, you know, on paper, the, the bookies have got them. You know, they've, they've got, you know, almost unbackable favoritism for a, a game that is a lot closer as far as what we see, you know, a dollar twenty-two to over four fifty now is just crazy. But yeah, um, I I don't think you're too far off. They've they've been pedal to the metal for so long this year, and even last year, you know, they they went on that huge winning streak right through to the grand final where it was Melbourne Storm who punched them in the mouth, and they just weren't ready for it. And yeah, I don't know. It it means there's a huge element of intrigue as to what Penrith are going to see on Saturday night. Yeah, and we you the mortal teams and and maybe maybe the storm are immortal in this regard, but your mortal teams are going to have a lag at some stage in the season. Where I mean, you you can't expect to win every game of the year. You might go some teams might go close, but you can't expect you can't expect to have perfect football and high intensity every game of the year. Um, it, it had been claimed that the storm had dropped off a little bit uh, just before we played them, and and pundits were saying, oh, you know, they were getting closer and closer to a loss with how they were playing. Um, I don't know that they gave us enough credit for that victory over them because, um, again, that uh, they we maintained that physicality all through the, all through the 80 minutes in... In defeating the storm, but um, we we saw that the eels really struggled for a period of time, and we didn't bounce back instantly with a win over the storm. We 
worked back with a um, oh, yeah, a tradesman satisfactory game, yeah. win over the, over the, the Cowboys. Cowboys. Yeah, tradesman-like victory over the Cowboys that yeah. sort of built the platform to then go on and, and upset the Melbourne Storm. Yeah, and then, of course, rested the players for the week against against the Panthers and came out and uh, you might say tradesman-like display in defeating the Knights, but I think it was a little bit better than that because I think the Knights did bring close to their best football yeah, they played this 100%, year. 100%, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so, um, yeah, anyway, as you say, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how the Panthers respond this week because um, their, their form in, in beating us in the last round against basically Parramatta's New South Wales Cup team, well, it took them a while to get over us with that 12-6 scoreline at half time, And uh, they got really got the run of possession, of the bounce of the ball, of decisions all through that second half. And um, it came out with a convincing-looking scoreline. But I, I don't know that the win was as, anywhere near as convincing as that score would uh, suggest. So, yeah, be interesting to see how, how switched on, how sharp they are with their execution. Because if they are really switched on and, and sharp, it will be a tough night indeed. But, uh, uh, you know, it's like everything with Parramatta. That first five, ten minutes are going to tell us where Parramatta's heads are at for this game and what level of intensity we've brought. And uh, that'll give us an idea about how tight the contest is going to be. Indeed. And now before we go to our go-home segment uh, with our long chat with Daniel Essay, Let's do some predictions, mate. Uh, let's yep. see uh, how this game's going to play out. Who's going to get on the board first? And any other bold statements you want to make about the Saturday night showdown? Yeah, it's look, it's a really tough game to predict because on the one hand, you would think in a, in a finals match that it's going to be defence-dominated. Um, and then you've got um, a a Penrith team that you know you'll probably have to score points against, reasonably significant points against to get the victory. Um, I'm, I am tipping the Eels, and uh, it might be said that I'm tipping with my heart and not my head there. But a, as a supporter, I'm looking at the positive aspects of our play that we've seen over the last few weeks. So I'm going to predict that the scoreline will be um, Eels 22, Panthers 14. Oh, my God. I hate you. I, Have I, I just jumped in and taken your very, scoreline? Very, very close. Very close. <laughs> and uh, I'll go with um, Will Penasini to be first try scorer. i got to start going first in these predictions because <laughs> it's, it, it looks like I'm just aping your stuff. Um, yeah. I think you, you pretty much hit it, the nail on the head there. Uh, we know this is going to be a, a torrid physical clash. Both teams have such strong forward packs, and in particular, the front rows are outstanding for both lineups. Um, if you if you could make an amalgamation of these two teams, just the, the forward pack itself would just be disgusting. Um, both, both teams, just so many weapons and so much uh, petrol through the middle. Um, so, yeah, the game's going to be so physical for that middle corridor. I think for Parramatta, I'm, I'm going to go with with the middle as well for that opening try. You know, Reid Money obviously would have added a layer of complexity to our red zone looks, but I think um, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, he really stood up last week, and I think he might be the player to make that difference early and get that first strike uh, towards victory. 
So I'll back the uh, the man at the big mo to get over as well as probably uh, knock a few skulls around as well on defense if he's uh, in any sort of similar mood to what he was against Newcastle. And uh, in terms of the overall result, uh, you said 22-14, and I was actually always going to angle for a 21-14 win with that obviously that field goal coming to the play just to secure that two-score lead. It just seems to be the sort of margin that you're going to beat Penrith by, and, and that or, or less. They're going to play it close. They're going to be fired up for this one. And, you know, like we said, there's a lot of intrigue because how they're going to respond to being upset by South Sydney, who they were un- almost unbackable favourites for given the two results prior in the 2021 season. So, yeah, it, Parramatta to win, it's going to be an absolute barn burner. And, uh, yeah, and then it, it sets the stage for almost the grand final before the grand final. Like, you know, Parramatta's own little grand final because there's a lot of demons to exercise against Melbourne. And we, we obviously we went a long way towards that this year in the regulation season. But so many of our promising runs, you know, going back, not not even just going back under Brad Arthur, but going back to 2009 and going back to uh, prior to that uh, under, I think it was Jason Taylor's uh, caretaker tenure at the club, all ended by the storm. So got to get past the Panthers and, and it's going to be a tough one. But, geez, if he, if he can do that, then the week after is just insane. Well, it, it would be insane to... Um be even considering you could beat the Storm three times in one season in a season where they were minor premiers. <laughs> and 500 points of differential. And, yeah. and they only dropped three games. And arguably they should only drop two games if it wasn't for Justin Holland being selfish against Penrith. We could have just been the, the lone holdouts in what was a historic season for Melbourne. So got to get the job done against, you know, uh, that – Derby team in the, in the Panthers and we know they're going to be fired up and we know the Eels are going to be fired up and, and like Bernie said a lot of the messaging out of the Eels camp now if you, if you read into it as an armchair psychologist it, it, there's been a noticeable difference like all of a sudden the Eels are just self-assured uh, you know they're, they're serious but also relaxed they, you know the, they're there for themselves there for each other there for their coach and I think that might be the difference so I, I would love to see them get this monkey off their back, get past week two of the finals, and and it won't. I, I know it won't effectively in the long term because if you go into twenty twenty two and and you get into a similar situation, the media are going to start trotting out the same headlines about the coach being under pressure, regardless of what the makeup of the season was. But at least for the short term, they can just slam the door shut and all this negative garbage that you know the likes of Hooper and Crawley are just trying to preemptively set up. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Ooh, and um, on that sort of big tirade, it's a, a nice place to wrap up our preview of Saturday Night's Clash. And uh, let's go to our go-home segment, mate, because you've got it all teed up for us nicely. We've been getting brilliant feedback about our Parramatta stories and the junior clubs that we've featured. I anticipate that this next story will be no different because we're profiling a club with an incredibly strong focus on the formative years of kids' sport and rugby league. And, a brilliant, and they also have a brilliant connection with their community. That club's the Borkham Hills Brumbies, and we're very pleased to speak with their secretary, Daniel Essie. Daniel, welcome to the tip sheet. Actually, guys, I'll correct one thing there. I'm the president of the club. The secretary would get really upset. <laughs> it's Jamie and Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, sorry. My apologies, the president of the of the Brumbies, Daniel Essie. Daniel, welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Craig. Look, it's, it's, I don't mind that at all. It's really apt that you actually said that simply because um, – Jenny Majali is the secretary of the club and um, she's one of the many ladies who form the heartbeat of our club and Jenny, along with a lot of other hardworking secretaries, um, 
form the absolute heartbeat of the Junior League and do all the work to keep it going on a volunteer basis. So I'm grateful for all their work. Mate, that's that's a great, actually turns out to be a great way to start this chat. Uh, but let's just go back to the beginnings. Can you talk us through the origins of the Borker Mills Brumbies Club? Yeah, sure. Look, the Brumbies play in a competition which used to be called the Convents Competition. Um, many, many people came through that competition. I myself played in that competition as a little kid for a club called St. Margaret Mary's Marylands, and it was the old Catholic school competition. But um, it became, uh, it, it stopped being a Catholic school competition a couple of years back. The Brumbies itself was called the Borkham Hills Football Club, and it was a feeder club from St. Michael's Catholic School and Odie Lords Primary at Borkham Hills. Um, and it later became the Brumbies in the mid-90s. And in 99, registered its ABN as the Borkham Hills Brumbies and hasn't really looked back. Um, it's a club which is servicing under sixes through to under 11s and sometimes under 12s. This year we had what was called a primary school opens division. Um, and we look to recruit mainly in that area for the Sunday competition. It's now called the Parramatta Junior League on Sundays, the Sunday competition. So you've just mentioned that focus there on the primary school age children. So we're talking about a focus on uh, midi and mod uh, footy. How many players and teams do you field? We field, well, this year, before the season was unfairly cut short by COVID, um, we fielded, let me, let me recap this, um, in my mind, I think we fielded six mini teams and we fielded two mod teams. Um, we're quite proud of our representation in that area, particularly um, in the growth in the mini area. It's just exploded. Um, for those who don't know, mini footy is um, in the under sixes through to under sevens. It's, it's six kids on a very small field. They call it a micro field. Um, yep. And in the under sixes, there's no refs. The, the parents ref. And in the under sevens, you get refs. In the under eights, you go to the bigger mini field and it's eight aside. But again, uh, it's no, there's no point, there's no official point scoring. And in the under nines, it's still mini, but it becomes uh, point scoring and competition based. And the under tens is mod. Same with the under elevens. My, uh, my old man is a Italian migrant and he had some serious trepidation about letting me play football back in the day. But eventually they were, uh, families were able to convince him to let me play in year five and year six. And um, back in that era, it was unmodified junior games. And, you know, they, they had a lot of concerns about getting hurt and whatnot. But I had a blast playing both league and union. Fast forward to 2021, things are well and truly different with those two uh, modified codes, mini and mod. From the experience of the Brumbies from your club, how have the modified games changed the perception of parents looking to get their kids into the game of rugby league? Well, firstly, John, it's funny you say that. Um, I had a conversation with Tim Manor recently where he said the same thing to me. He said as a kid, his parents had serious trepidations about playing footy. And I had the same thing growing up. I was, I was quite a good junior footy player, but um, my parents had serious reservations about it. And a lot of parents do. And we've encountered that all along the way. Part of our job is educating parents that this isn't the NRL. Um, it is not what you think. It's an opportunity for your children to enjoy a contact sport in a controlled environment, which is fun, team-based, skills-based. Um, and... In, in effect, it's wonderful for the social and physical development of kids. I'm a firm believer that kids need to learn a little bit about their bodies growing up, and uh, mini and mod football allows a controlled environment for them to emulate their heroes and, and play rugby league, and it's quite safe. It's 
the injury type of injuries we see are no different to the injuries in any other sport. Mm-hmm. The contact isn't, I'll call it the car crash contact you see at the older age groups in rugby league and the professional level. It, it's just we don't have that skill or body weight. So it's a lot of fun. Um, it really is. One of the first things we do in the under sixes at our club, and I know a lot of clubs do this, is teach tackle technique for about four weeks straight. We have kids on their knees learning to put their head to the side and their shoulder in and wrapping their arms around. And we do that until it's it's almost mechanical for them, for their own safety. Um, we And once they, once they learn that, the sky's the limit in terms of how much fun they have from rugby league. Um, you raised a great point about learning, you know, about their own bodies and, and the physicality. Uh, you know, reflecting back on my time in school, I think there's definitely more than a few people that would have benefited from just being involved in sports, whether it was rugby league or something else, but league especially because of the social aspect uh, and, and sort of finding out how much better they could have been and how much more uh, self-confidence, I suppose, you grow from that. Look, I can give an example. Um, I have currently have three children at the club um, and they're all three different personalities. My eldest uh, probably took a little bit longer to develop than the second one. And yet... The friends he made from rugby league turned out to this day are his best mates. Um, they're his best mates at school. They're his best mates outside of school, and and they're his best mates through the club. Um, he's got a lot of family and friends at the club, and, and you know socially, it's it's been wonderful for his development and for all my children. Um, even my daughter, who's reluctant to play and doesn't play, has made some great friends through the club as well on game days going along, and on training days. It, it's just it's a wonderful social organ. Um, and it's a wonderful for development. Now, this is a topic that we've had a lot of fun exploring. It's a really exciting uh, growth sector in rugby league. But in general, we're seeing explosive growth in the participation rates of young ladies in rugby league. Has there been a noticeable uptick for the Brumbies in recent years in that regard? Absolutely. Absolutely. Currently, we have young ladies representing our club in the under-6s, under-7s, under-10s and under-11s. And I think we've got a couple of inquiries about the under-8s and under-9s next year. Um, we're thrilled to get girls involved, particularly at this level. As a lot of your listeners may or may not be aware, up until the under-12s, the girls play with the boys, um, and then they go into the girls' junior leagues. Um, And given what I said earlier, for all children, it's a wonderful environment, and for girls, it is too. You take away that that physical aspect, which may deter parents of some young girls, and, and, and it's a perfect way for them to get involved in the sport as well. And I have to say... At our club, we've got three or four girls who are probably some of the better players in their team. Um, I won't embarrass them by naming them, but they're gun footballers. Some of the skill they have. And look, my son's also involved with the Hills District Bulls in the under-12s, and he had uh, five girls in his team this year. And and the amount of times I heard the comment, the girls are the absolute best players in the spine, it it was true. They They were skillful, they love the sport, they're knowledgeable about the sport, and they're dedicated to it. Um, I think it's wonderful that rugby league's taking that on board. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see the uh, the pathways that are there for the girls and and with our coverage. I mean, we've we've really been enshrined in the competitive side of that game from pathways through to uh, the juniors, through to the uh, NRL. Uh, that's what we love to do. But for a club and for people like yourself, it must be fan- a fantastic feeling to see the kids running around in these formative years in the co, just learning the game and, and having a blast running around. Mate, it really is. Um, it is one of the true joys of being involved. 
um, I became involved with the club five years ago um, and I immediately got involved in the coaching side of it. I'm still involved in the coaching side of it and in the administration side, obviously. It is one of the great thrills watching kids develop. I mentioned earlier my oldest child, I was coach of his team for, for five years and seeing the way those kids came along from day one right through to when they left us to go to other clubs. It was it was wonderful. It was so rewarding. And we're seeing it. We see it all the time. Um, one of my great thrills this year was a young boy in, in, our, in our under-8s team who, who I coach who at the start of the year um, just seemed to have no aptitude for the sport. And his father said, look, I want to pull him out. And we begged him to let him stay because he enjoyed it so much. And he just showed more and more skill and he showed a better aptitude for the game as he went along he just loved it he loved playing with his mates and he still loves it and that that's the big thing isn't it it's not about being the best at that age group it's just about having fun and the participation it's it's 100 percent the truth um look everyone wants their kid to not embarrass themselves and not feel bad about themselves but i can tell you um, there are so many ways within a junior rugby league game for a child to be rewarded for effort. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's making one tackle or taking a hit up or having a kick for goal or even something as simple as training as getting a passing drill right and we make a big fuss about it, you can see how that improves their development week on week on week. Um, or if a child just exhibits good technique, you can reward them and you can see them grow. And, and look, that's part of the fun of it. And the other part of the fun of it is you play bull rush. You have kicks for goal with your mates. You run around tagging each other at training. You know, everyone gets lollies after the game and showers each other with water. I mean, <laughs> I mean you, you know, you, don't, you can't underestimate how much it is. No. And, and at our club, we have that family atmosphere and a lot of the clubs do that I've seen. And it just it, it makes the kids feel at home. Now, the Brumbies compete in the Sunday competition, Daniel. For our mm-hmm. listeners, I'd say looking in or rather listening in, uh, can you explain the difference between the Saturday and Sunday comps for them? Yeah, look, um, without meaning to sound pejorative in any way, the Sunday comp has always been a little bit of a softer comp. Um, the Saturday comp has the bigger clubs in it in terms of the, long, the older, more established, better funded, more resourced clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a little bit more competitive. In, in but but the Sunday comp still is pretty competitive, but is slightly slightly less intense. Um, uh, it comes falls all fall under the same banner these days, um, all fall under the Parramatta Junior League. The nine clubs who compete in the Sunday comp don't play on Saturdays, and the twenty two cl- clubs who play in the Saturday comp don't play on Sundays. So it's different clubs for different comps. Um, I've found that. At the moment, the marketing focus of the Parramatta Junior League, and this is a good focus for development, is if you can't take your kids to footy on Saturdays, get involved on Sundays. Um, and vice versa, if you can't do Sundays, get involved on Saturdays. Um, we at the Brumbies don't care if you play Saturday or Sunday as long as you're playing footy, because if you want to play Sundays, we're there. No, that's an excellent outlook. And, you know, you sort of, you mentioned that the, the beer clubs there on Saturdays, but not, you know, not not to toot your own horn, but you've also been club champions in your comp too, haven't you? We have a few times uh, recently. Um, there's a few strong clubs in our comp, but we were lucky enough last year when there was no club championship to make all three grand finals in the 9s, 10s and 11s. Um, and again, this year, our under 10s 
um, were declared premiers because they're leading the comp halfway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, we have been club champions a few times. We are a fairly strong club. Uh, Winston Hills Hawks are a strong club. The Sharks are a strong club. Greystains Bulldogs. There's a lot of Austral Bears. There's a lot of good uh, Hurricanes, Northwest Hurricanes. I'm mentioning all these clubs because we love having them in our league, to be honest. Mm. And we're all mates. Um, all the clubs are fairly friendly. And uh, you'll often find that if a kid, if you've got too many kids in, like we had too many kids in our under-11s last year, and we sent one of them down the road to Winston Hills. Um, because in the end, you want someone to play against. Exactly. You want a strong team to play against. It's fun. It, it, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I was having a, a, a bit of a look at the Facebook site and I noticed the plug that uh, Borker Mills Brumbies was giving to other uh, Sunday clubs that you compete against and, you know, help, uh, mentioning the special days that they were having, those sorts of things. It was, uh, it, it, It's a real extended community, isn't it? From uh, from what I'm seeing, look, it really is. Um, it really is. I mean, for instance, uh, there's a lady at uh, the Sharks, Sue Hogan, and there's a couple of people at the Hawks, uh, Matt Brownlow and Trish Forsyth, who I have incredible working relationships with. I enjoy good relationships with the, with, with the people at every club simply because we work together um, on days where we can't host games because of something's gone wrong, like has happened during COVID other, or wet weather, other, other clubs will step in and assist and so, and vice versa. It's just, it really is a collegiate atmosphere amongst the clubs um, and, and it's, it's great. It's fantastic. That's really positive to hear. I mean, you, you love the but that sort of healthy rivalry, I suppose, the best way of terming it is just, it's good for the game, it's good for the kids, it's good for the community. Oh, mate, there is healthy rivalry too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I said earlier, I believe... Uh, physicality is part of a kid's development. I am someone who also believes that a bit of competition doesn't hurt. and Kids need to learn how to lose. Yes, yeah, I um, agree. Um, and it's, you know, I, I gave the, I keep giving the example from my own experience, but I had an under-9s team who missed the semis one year and were devastated. And my son said, Dad, why did we miss? And I said, because not everyone makes it. But we got better throughout the year. And the next year they won the comp. Um, you know, they realised, you know, if you want to win, you've got to go a bit harder. <laughs> you got to do a bit better yeah. if you want. Yeah, and that and that's all part of those those life lessons, isn't it? It really is. Um, I, I made I sound like a bit of a, a zealot, but I, I believe junior sport is wonderful for the development of kids in many areas, um, not just in the sporting sphere. It helps you in other areas of life as well. Um, it builds a little bit of resilience. It teaches you about dedication and effort. Um, and, you know, when kids see first graders, for instance, coming through, they go, well, what does he have to do to get there? And, you know, podcasts like yours have detailed what people have to do to make it. And you say to the kids, this is what you've got to do. And and just I want to keep coming back to this community aspect because like most junior clubs, there is that importance on engaging with and acknowledging the community. So who makes up the Brumbies community? Ah, uh, mate, it, it, for a long while there, 80% of our players came from one primary school out at Lady Lords and from St Michael's in Borkham Hills, but now it's a bit different. It's families from all over the area. We are a purely volunteer-based club. I'm a volunteer. Um, our vice presidents are volunteers. Secretary Jenny Majali is a volunteer. Um, we have 
a lot of family committee members and, and family members and parents who get involved in coaching and administration and run the canteen for us on game days and run the barbecue and help us with ground set up from seven in the morning. I, I give a speech every year to new parents. Um, and I say this, if you're coming to the club, you're not coming just to drop your kid off and run. I expect you to be involved. I, and it's better for the children when you're involved. Yeah. They enjoy it more and you enjoy it more. Um, so, you know, and most parents want to help. Most parents love hearing that they're allowed to get involved in the training aspect of it and get their ticket and coach or, you know, help run the canteen or help set up the grounds or help mark the grounds on a Thursday night and set up the goalposts. Mate, the amount of effort that comes in from people at our club. Um, I'll embarrass one, but we've got a guy called Nigel King who's been at the club for, for 10 years and the effort Nigel puts in in terms of he's our grounds manager, he's our coaching coordinator, He's basically a jack of all trades. Lines need marking, call Nigel. Uh, need a bit of dirt on a patch in the ground, call Nigel. <laughs> he, and yeah. he's he's just a dad. He's just a dad. He's got kids at the club. Mm-hmm. But, and we've got plenty of people like that. Plenty of people like that who just throw their hands up. Like my whole family gets involved. Um, home days are um, a family event. I have my kids there from early in the morning and my wife and the Majalis are there and, and the Pulitu is there and, you know, and there's about 20 other families. Everyone's there and we're all friends. Um, you know, everyone's there helping set up, having a coffee and um, it's great. Something that uh, Sixties and myself have really enjoyed uh, while we've been exploring the junior clubs in the Parramatta District are the special days that are on each club's calendar. Can you tell us a little bit about what's on the Brumbies calendar in terms of those special events? Oh, mate, we have a few of them. Um Early in the year, usually on around Mother's Day, we have a Mumbies event. Uh, a couple of times in the past, the Mumbies event was a huge lunch out of the Mean Fiddler and another one at, um, I'm trying to think of the house, uh, Cropley House in, in Borkham Hills. Um, this year, the Mumbies event was a bus trip to the Hunter Valley, and that's open to all mums who have kids at the club. They all go along and have a great day. Uh, we have our Back to Brumbies Day, which is our fundraising home game, which we didn't get to do this year because the comp was called off, but that's a huge event day. Um, we have our Parents' Night, and we have, which is exactly as it sounds, it's the parents get to let off piss them without the kids. <laughs> and we have a Father-Son Weekend at the end of every year where um, the fathers and sons and daughters from the under-9s through to the under-11s uh, go to Del Rio Ski Resort at Hawkesbury. Uh, for Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday. It's a camp out. I uh, love the focus on the parents, Daniel. As someone who played his football on the Midnight Coast, uh, my mum carded my, uh, I wouldn't say ungrateful, but you know, not, not fully understand the scope of what she was doing, um, backside up and down from you know studying cost, then going up to Grafton and down the Port Macquarie. So that Mumbies Day sounds like something that would be bang on as a thank you for all the mums. Uh, for doing the work and then on the flip side that father sunday is just another great way to connect kids to their dad so doing some really good stuff there oh mate yeah it's oh, i had an old man who um came to everything i ever played i mean he's, he's still comes to watch me play touch football i'm 45 years old um he supported us in every sport we played and it enhanced the enjoyment um and we found that when parents are involved and parents are having fun the kids love it so much more yeah Definitely. The kids love feeling part of something. Really, really important. The family aspect of our club is one of our fundamental ethos. 
Um, it's it's something we embrace, um, and I know it's something that's replicated across a few other clubs as well. Uh, of course, the the uh, downside of the last couple of years has been COVID, undoubtedly, and it's affected so many aspects of everyone's lives. Uh, with your emphasis on engaging children in sport and the healthy lifestyle, you'd no doubt be noticing it's how it's impacting what young children are able to get out and do at the moment. What planning is possible for junior clubs to bounce back and to reignite kids' sport going forward? I'm glad you asked me that one. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer uh, that one of the ways to counter what I'm going to call stagnating development amongst children throughout this whole lockdown COVID period is to embrace junior sport. Um, I've noticed that even amongst my own kids and their friends that kids, you have to actually seek out any kind of activity because the opportunities for physical activity or sporting activity just aren't there because everything's shut down and everyone's locked up. I would suggest that the way to get back to this is to embrace junior sport in a way that it hasn't been embraced before. It's the way to ameliorate any deficiencies that kids have suffered in development is to get them into junior sport. And, and in, from our perspective, junior rugby league is a great way. Get the kids involved. Let's get out. We've all had we've all had many, many weekends at home doing nothing mm-hmm. or doing yep. chores around the house. I need my excuse to get out of chores back, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, it's but totally- you know, let's get out there. Let's get our kids back into junior sport and let's, let's get them moving through junior sport, through junior rugby league in particular. Yeah, maximise those um, weekends with the kids. Yeah, it's a great way for them also to to accelerate the growth of the kids again, and develop to do the development of the kids again. Get them involved in junior sport, um, and from a rugby league perspective, I mean we've all seen from top down how in the New South Wales Cup down has been cancelled, and whole seasons have been yep. curtailed, and the kids coming through um, probably haven't had the development that that they need, and, and I firmly believe that we've got to you know, redouble our efforts rather than go softer. We've got to go harder um, to get more footy into the kids. No, I, I like that approach and I agree with it wholeheartedly. Uh, even without the spectre of COVID though, junior clubs face significant challenges every year, both financial and logistical. How do the Brumbies meet with those challenges, uh, Daniel? Mate, I like to say that volunteerism is the heartbeat of everything. Um, from our perspective, we've got a good core group of sponsors and, and I'd like to take the opportunity to mention, um, you know, Parramatta Leagues who help us out with a grant every year, Northmead Bowling Club who have been partners of ours for five, for four years now and, and wonderful financial assistance, uh, providing wonderful financial assistance. We've got, you know, um, my own law firm and, and uh, SC Legal and Precise Security is one of the families from the club and, and about four other families from the club who all tip in money through sponsorship. Um, we're very lucky. We're very we're a very well funded club in that regard. Um, but again, when I say well funded, I mean we operate on a budget that covers just what we need. It's it's not a money making exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and volunteerism is the soul of the whole club. How do we how do we get through it all? It's like I said earlier. Um, we have people put their hand up for long nights and long days. Blokes like Nigel, you know, getting in there and rolling up the sleeves. Yep. Blokes like Nigel, and, uh, and I'll mention Jenny Majali again, Jenny's mm-hmm. our secretary, um, you know, uh, ben, ben Carter as well, our vice president. These are people who, who work tirelessly. We've got Frank Pultura at the club who 
who, who puts in a lot of effort as well. He's, he's like Jenny every year takes care of our team registration and starts recruiting. And, and when I say recruiting, uh, taking care of the bureaucratic side of team registration and player administration. And it goes right through from January, pretty much all through the year. Um, and she's also a COVID marshal. So she's there at every training session. Um, and we've got a lot of people who aren't on the committee who put in. Like my wife is is there constantly. She'll be there sorting out uniforms on training nights for two hours to make sure everyone's got. And there'll be mums who come to training and hang around while their kids are training and help sort out all the kids' uniforms. It's the way the club functions. Every club's like that. There are people behind the scenes who are the oil within the engine, the lubrication to make it all move. Otherwise, it doesn't move. I, I think that's part of the beauty of um, of junior clubs and um, and especially rugby league clubs that it all with everyone pitching in and and people that sponsors and that that come to the aids it it make also makes the sport affordable for families and kids, doesn't it? Hundred um, percent. The active kids voucher has been good in that regard too. But as you say, sponsors coming in allows us where we can charge a very reasonable registration fee on the basis that, you know, because of our sponsors, we can give the kids shorts, socks, uh, merch, you know, like lunch boxes one year and jackets other years. And um, we're in a position where we can give the kids a lot of things. Um, I mean, one year we gave every coach kid who played headgear and that was because a generous sponsor paid for it all, um, yep. which allowed us to, you know, if, if the kid didn't want to use it, the option was there. And that... So, that threshold to entry via that registration fee is so significant because having spoken to my sisters who have young kids that have been involved in other codes, some of the registration fees are significant. So being able to almost have, you know, it's it's an accessibility thing is what I'm probably trying to get at. You know, having those sponsors helping that, it goes so far towards getting these kids involved. Forty, you're exactly right. Um, and when you consider that what a parent has to fork out goes beyond rego fees as well, it goes to you know, getting mouth cards for their kids, which can often be an exorbitant cost, yep. um, you know, or paying for equipment, um, you know, it, it gets up there. Um, and if you've got more than one kid, if you've got two or three playing, it really gets up there. So to have sponsors offset some of those costs, we're very grateful for that. Now, yeah. I wanted to give the club an extra acknowledgement because I note that you're a certified Blue Shield club and that the Brumbies are also gold medal accredited in the Good Sports Program. You must be proud of those achievements too. We really are, mate. Um, some of the credit for those achievements goes to previous administrations at the club who laid the groundwork. And to be honest, a lot of it goes to uh, our Secretary, Jenny Majali, who, again, took care of a lot of the bureaucracy to allow us to get accredited in those areas. Um, we've, we're, we're quite proud of, it, of what, everything we've had to do to conform uh, with the standards for those accreditations. Um, we really are. Uh, we take a lot of our responsibilities seriously. Uh, we've had a couple of our parents trained in high-level first aid, um, and, and a lot of the junior clubs do, to, to conform to a lot of the requirements. But we are proud of the Blue Shield and good sports qualifications. We really are. We always like to round out our chats by trying to connect any listeners and their families to the uh, local junior club. So if there's anyone listening and or reading the accompanying blog that Sixies will put up as a companion to this podcast um, that would like to get involved and they're in the Balkham Hills area or the surrounds, um, and that means playing, coaching, sponsoring, volunteering, helping out in any way, how can they get in touch with you, Daniel? 
Uh, mate, you can just go to the Balkan Hills Brumbies website first and foremost. Um, that's that's the first port of call. Which they is can contact bhbrumbies.com.au, I believe. It is. Um, then you can email the Secretary, Jenny Manjali. Um, and I'm just going to get up her Brumbies website. I'll tell you why, because whenever I email Jenny, it's on her private website, and that's a little bit unfair to be putting that out <laughs> yeah, here. <laughs> we do want to connect fans, but not, not on a personal level. <laughs> no, but you can email Jenny or myself. Um, I'll just get the Brumbies uh, email, to be honest with you. Um, no, sure. Sorry, man. If, if it's the uh, general one, it should be the dot jrlfc at gmail.com, I believe. Yeah, I think that is it. Um, I never usually email that email address. But, yeah, that that's an important one. That's an important way to get in contact with everyone at the Brumbies. Um, you can come through us for the Parramatta Junior League if you like, um, or I'm happy for you to call me on my mobile number, um, which I'm happy to be listed with this blog um, because we are a club that's happy for you to come along and have a run. Um, we, like I said... We currently field more than one team in some of the junior age groups, and we can field more than one team again if we get enough people. Um, so if anyone wants to come along, you're welcome to come down. The other thing we do do uh, to make it easier, if you want to come down and have a look in pre-season, um, come to a training session, see what it's like, observe, um, and make a decision if you want to register. Yeah, and your uh, your home ground is in um, is it uh, Castle Hill or Castlewood Castlewood Reserve Castle Hill? Um, yep. That's our home ground. It's where we train. It's where we play. Um, you never, uh, on that note, you never really go outside much of the pound. The furthest you travel out is Austral. You go to Austral, and um, uh, you'll go to for, for other games, and you'll go to Greystains and Marylands and. Uh, Winston Hills and, and Glenwood, but you won't go any further than that, really. Um, yeah. No, that's a that's a good sell for a fantastic club, and we really enjoy our chats with the the representatives of the junior clubs, Daniel. And to uh, to a T, they've been incredible people, salt of the earth. You, you can feel the passion bleeding out for everything they say, and you were no exception today. So thank you for giving us your time uh, during a, a busy period of. Uh, the year it's starting to get towards the back end of uh 2021 where things start to converge very quickly so we do appreciate you taking time out of your day and like i said if there's anyone listening that is in the balkham hills area and surrounds and they want to get in touch with the brumbies please do because uh supporting your local junior clubs goes a long long way to not just you know rugby league in the nrl but the community around you having said that mate i just want to say one last thing i'm a Parramatta fan and i'm hoping we absolutely give it to newcastle this week <laughs> and we go further but you don't have to be a Parramatta fan to play for the Brumbies. no that that is 100 percent spot on you'll cop it but you don't have to be a Parramatta <laughs> <fan>. <laughs> yes <laughs> thanks daniel thank thanks, you mate. you keep well thanks a lot bye and i wasn't kidding when i said at the start mate that it was going to be an action-packed episode of the tip sheet obviously a huge thank you to bernie Gare, a huge thank you to daniel essay for their time coming on to the episode this week and yeah and a sort of nice way to run into the weekend with that huge game against penrith mate i'm i'm looking forward to this so much it's um it, it, the only thing that would make it better is if we were able to go and watch the match mm. in person at yeah. the ground yeah this would have been an absolute packed house Obviously, would have been played. No, it wouldn't have been played out at Penrith, would it? No, week two finals are played out at, at, at local ground still. So it would have been at Penrith, but you can bet your bottom dollar there would have been a, a strong contingent of blue and gold there to barrack for their team. But unfortunately, we're relegated to watching it from the couch due to the nature of the COVID season. 
which is, you know, what it is. And it adds an interesting uh, foible to the postseason as always. But yeah, um, the, the big thing now is just the weight. You know, we're recording here on Thursday, and I'm ready. To, I'm ready to watch the game now. Like we've got to wait. You know, Friday night and then to, or Thursday night, Friday night, and then Saturday. And obviously, the uh, the morsel that is the little snack on Friday night between the Seagulls and the Roosters will help tide us over a little bit. But geez, this game needs to. It, it could be kicking off right now, and I'd be ready. <laughs> and, and the amazing thing is too that it's only a six day turnaround for us. So yeah. How keen are we to play? Yeah, yeah. the 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 joys of finals football, eh? You know, when everything you all the chips on the table, everything's in the pot. You know, it just it, it ramps up the expectation and the excitement that much. So, I am super pumped for this, and uh, the fact that the team pulled themselves back from the precipice like they did earlier in the season, you know, is such a credit to the coaching staff, to the players, to everyone, you know, and the auxiliary support staff and and everyone around the club, and you know, now we're Although the bookies don't think so, we are a real shot at going deep into the finals. And it starts on Saturday night and it starts by knocking over, you know, a, a storied arc rival. Even if they're, you know, almost in their little brother role in the Western Sydney, this is just such a, a huge matchup. And, mate, I am so looking forward to then being able to do our instant reaction podcast celebrating a victory. And uh, our thanks to everyone who's been with us for the for the uh, bonus podcast that we thrown in this week where there was just too much going on in a finals week we had to we had to bring you that bonus podcast uh, speaking with Chris Warren who was a tremendous guest to have as well um, so hang with us we've got uh, the big match and then we'll have our instant reaction after the match is over um, and looking forward to the win that we'll be talking about. And, uh, yeah, go the Eels. Yeah, sign off as we always do. Thanks for stopping by and listening. It means a lot. Uh, things are as hectic as always. Obviously, we're edging towards uh, more freedoms of the vaccination threshold's been hit. But until then, stay safe um, and, you know, enjoy your TCT perusing and listening and look forward to a, a big game on Saturday night. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>